Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Uh, joining us here for the CIO Strategy Snapshot Conversation, glad to welcome back Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, hope you had a nice weekend. Thank you for dropping by here on a Monday morning to tee up the week. Looking forward to our conversation. Good morning, Dan. Happy Monday. So, uh, Jason, thinking back to late last week, and really it began Wednesday, heading into Thursday, and of course on Friday, equities came under severe pressure with the S&P 500 having closed lower by 2.8% on Friday to cap off the week. Now, this morning, futures are currently pointing to a lower open, uh, this following some selling pressure across global markets in Asia and Europe. What factors, Jason, have triggered this selling pressure recently? Well, it's a combination of, of different factors. <clears throat> they also trace back to the fears about global growth and whether it's going to be a slowdown or even a recession next year. <clears throat> so the first part of that, you know, those catalysts, is, is the Federal Reserve uh, and other central banks as well last week continued to be very hawkish in the rhetoric. Uh, so Fed Chair Jay Powell has said late last week that he sees a 50 basis point rate hike as on the table for many policy meeting. I think that wasn't really new news, but I think sort of there's also other you know, Fed officials who... We talked about multiple 50 basis point hikes, the possibility of a 75 basis point hike. And Powell did say that the, you know, the U.S. labor market is unsustainably hot. So the Fed continues to sort of ramp up the, the rhetoric in terms of what it's you know, doing and the market is responding accordingly. And the, you know, as that happens, you just get further and further concerns about you know, will it ultimately kind of tip the economy into recession. So that was one of the factor that, factors that happened late last week. On top of that, now you've had you know, China's sort of doubling down on its zero COVID policies. Uh, you know, with um, you know measures in Shanghai restricting mobility, and then the reports that happened this morning or overnight was that even Beijing may be locked down. So instead of seeing the coming to the end of these lockdowns, this may perpetuate, you know, at least for a few more weeks and even if longer, uh, and this could be a recurrence throughout the year. So there's uh, you know, sort of ongoing concerns about you know China's slowdown, and on top of that, we're seeing a relatively underwhelming policy response from China in terms of interest rates cuts. Um, other you know, kind of stimulative measures on the fiscal policy front. So we know that this is going to have a hit to domestic growth, which is important for the global story. And there doesn't seem to be a huge effort thus far to completely offset that from Chinese officials. So that's another factor fueling the growth concerns. And then the escalation in the Ukraine war, you know, Russia has launched sort of a renewed assault on the eastern part of the country. Uh, there's uncertainty about you know, additional potential sanctions on the economic spillover, even though the European Union and the Eurozone specifically has held up reasonably well and some of the most recent data is still you know, relatively positive, the concern is that this, there's a downside risk there. So all these things are kind of weighing on the markets. I'll say that at least a little bit is that Q1 earnings have been off to a pretty decent start. Uh, you know, about 80% of the companies that have reported in the S&P 100, and we've had about 25% of the companies reported thus far, but 80% of those companies have beaten earnings forecasts. Uh, and, you know, they're beating by about 6%. Uh, so, you know, decent kind of beat, a little bit better than expectations. And the guidance, which was probably the most important part, has been relatively flat. There was fears that this would kind of come down. So from a you know, economic perspective, data perspective, has actually held up reasonably well. But the concerns about where growth is going to go because of the Fed, because of China, because of Ukraine, that's been weighing on the market. So there's definitely a lot of jittery investors out there 
and that people aren't willing to kind of want to step in and buy at this point in time. Well, encouraging to hear about that bright spot, Jason, you mentioned with respect to corporate reporting here in the U.S., but you hit on inflationary pressures, recession concerns, geopolitics, central bank policy, all contributing factors to the recent selling pressure. Uh, maybe let's run with central bank policy a bit, the Fed in particular, uh, which, as you mentioned, served as a factor in the late week sell-off. Now, looking ahead to next week, I know we do have a key Fed meeting on day on May 3rd and 4th, respectively, a Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Uh, Jason, what are CIO's expectations with respect to policy announcements at this upcoming Fed meeting? So in terms of the announcement in, in, Mar- in May, in, like next week, uh, a 50 basis point hike is you know, almost certain, given what the market is expecting. If they didn't do that and given all the rhetoric, it would be very, very surprising. I think the markets would actually be quite disappointed if it was only 25 we also expect them to announce uh, officially the start of quantitative tightening, letting their balance sheet shrink by having bonds kind of roll off as they mature. Uh, this will probably begin at some point, uh, you know, right at the end of May, early June, that sort of time frame. Given that they've already given some guidance in terms of the size of the roll-off, through the caps they're willing to allow in terms of how much treasuries or mortgage-backed securities can roll off, it's really more about the official announcement and the timing of when this will begin. Like that, there's not a lot of necessary new information otherwise. So that's what we expect next week. The market expectations for the year overall actually changed, you know, last week, just given the Fed rhetoric from various speakers. So what the market was pricing from this time on Monday of last week was the Fed funds rate would be finished the year around 2.47%. And now as of Friday's close, it was 2.83%. <clears throat> so you're talking about 35 basis points more or on like a hike and a half almost more in terms of what the market is expecting the Fed to do this year. Uh, and, the, and the market, the futures markets are pricing in about 100% to a very close to 100% chance of 50 basis point rate hikes at the next three meetings. So next week in May, one roughly in mid-June, and then another one at the end of July. So all of this seems a little bit kind of on the aggressive side from our perspective. Uh, we still think the Fed's going to do quite a bit. So 50 basis points next week, 50 basis points in June. But I think it's then to become more data dependent in terms of how many more 50 or 25 basis point hikes we get. I think the, the kind of what we're looking at is the Fed will try and get to close to neutral by the end of the year. And their own measure of neutral would say a policy rate between 2.25 and you know, 2.5%. Uh, so kind of where the market was pricing this time last week. So if anything, there's probably scope, given how much is priced in the market, that if the inflation data actually does show some declines starting with the April print, which we'll get in about two weeks, that could actually alleviate a little bit of them with the market's pricing. You know, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty how this could play out, but given how much the market's already moved, given what the, vote, the Fed has already said, and perhaps their own reluctance to go much beyond neutral until they really see where the inflation path is headed into next year, I think the market, the bias right now would be the market to probably price out some of those hikes that they priced in last week. Well, Jason, thank you for helping us to manage policy expectations from the Fed. And of course, we will follow up following the outcome of that Fed meeting next week. So getting back to the week ahead of us, uh, we do have a busy few days ahead. I understand that investors receiving sizable amounts of uh, macro data, including, of course, corporate earnings here in the U.S. Uh, What are some points of interest, Jason, this week that have the potential to move markets? So on the economic front, uh, the data that's going to be most interesting to see is going to come out on Thursday and Friday. On Thursday, we get uh, Q1 GDP numbers. In itself, that's backward looking. So I think that's a little bit less kind of relevant in terms of the actual number. Consensus is around 1.5%. I think the details of what's driving GDP would be a little more interesting, in terms, especially in terms of 
you know, consumer spend expenditures? Is that holding up in light of inflation? How is it breaking down between you know, good spending and services spending? So I think the key sign there is like, you know, how is the consumer holding up and are they making the transition from goods to services? Because some of the numbers we're going to see on the good side, which is also maybe reflective in, in earnings numbers, is that people are making this transition. You know, that people are buying less stuff and they're taking, you know, doing more services like travel. So when you see some somewhat disappointing numbers on the growth on the good side, that's actually probably positive overall for the economy. So some of those details will be important. And then on Friday, it's kind of related to all that. We get the employment cost index for Q1. This is the broadest and probably cleanest measure of labor costs in terms of the economy, more so than you know, average hourly earnings growth, because that doesn't reflect the overall cost of, of labor. It doesn't include bonuses. It doesn't include other sort of compensation. This is a key measure that the Fed will be watching and wanting to see it sort of stabilizing uh, in order for the inflation narrative to indeed be consistent with it sort of peaking out and then heading lower. So I think those are the main economic data points. You know, worth watching this week. On the earnings front, about 36% of S&P 500 companies will report, and they represent nearly 50% of the market cap. This includes companies like Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook. So basically, you know, the, you know that's 25% of the market right there. And then next week, we get another third of the S&P 500 companies reporting. So by the end of this week, we'll have a pretty good sense of you know the earnings picture of how it's going to you know, be for Q1, but also the guidance. I think critical for some of these large mega cap growth stocks. Serious concerns about you know slowdown in growth for those or earnings growth for those companies that you know, during the pandemic a lot of it was pulled forward. There's thought that you know, perhaps Netflix was one of those kind of companies. So seeing kind of good numbers and sort of resilience in that could actually be a bit of a support for at least the growthier parts of the market because these are the biggest companies and they have an outsized influence on the overall you know market direction. So I think those are the two big things to watch this week. Because the Fed is meeting next week, there's no more speakers. So we're now in blackout period. We got everything for the last week, and now we're kind of waiting for the data or for the actual meeting next week to get the results and, and kind of the, the further guidance. So that, that's what to watch this week is the um, kind of the GDP data and the earnings data. Thank you, Jason. Okay, so a lot ahead of us that has the potential to move markets. So as we begin to close out our conversation for this morning, Jason, maybe we can end on positioning. I'm curious, have there been any adjustments made by the Chief Investment Office to recommended asset allocation in response to this recent downturn? How are you recommending, Jason, that investors position at the moment? So no change in the guidance over the past week, given the pullback we've seen in inequities you know, over the past you know, three or four days. We've expected for a while that equity markets would be range bound, that you know they you move from kind of a highs if the S and P 500 is your target or the, the index you're following, from like 45, 4600 down to about 4200, and that's kind of where we're testing the lows ends of that range. If we think about year to date, the S and P is now down about 10 and a half percent, and the peak sort of uh, drawdown from the, the the high earlier this year was around 14, 15 percent. So I think that's kind of where we'd think. You know, a little bit below 4,200, 4, that's when you start to see maybe some people kind of coming in, given sort of the, you know, the, the market dynamics this year. So nothing in terms of what happened last week has sort of changed that overall view. The economic data you know, has been you know, quite decent. You know, for example, you know, we've seen production data quite solid. Uh, overall economic data has been surprising to the upside. And even something like you know, the consumer, where there's a lot of focus on the low-end consumer, particularly being impacted by inflation. If you look at actual wage growth this year, People in sort of leisure and hospitality, sort of non-supervisory workers in that area, their average hourly earnings are up 15% year over year, which is more than enough to kind of offset the increase in inflation, even if the 8.5% is, you know, kind of understating the true level of inflation. That means the real purchasing power is holding up, and you're actually seeing that in the data. 
So while there's a lot of fears about growth you know, slowing down, right now we're not necessarily seeing that, which also kind of gives us comfort that what we have right now is a range-bound sort of you know, market. Uh, and continue, things continue to sort of normalize, which ultimately will kind of you know, you know, bring down inflation. So you know, no change in the overall view. A few weeks ago in the sectors, we did make some changes to have a more balanced allocation between kind of cyclical and defensive stocks, so not making sort of strong calls one way or another. In the fixing income space, you know, kind of the guidance has been sort of get less short. Clearly, a lot of pain on the fixed income space this year as rates have risen, including things like investment-grade corporate bonds, which are down about 10%. But given the, the rise in the rates, we think that sort of duration kind of component is largely played out. And now you actually want to go a little more up in quality. So it's you know, consistent with that. We've also kind of taken down our preference uh, for senior loans, moved to neutral. So we're suggesting investors kind of go a little more up in quality, for example, from senior loans to you know, shorter maturity investment-grade corporate bonds. So that messaging hasn't changed in the past couple of weeks. We also still like commodities you know, for multiple reasons, just given the supply-demand sort of structural imbalance that's likely to persist for a long period of time, which suggests prices will be supported and continue, and continue to go higher. It's also a good inflation hedge environment where, as we've seen this year, where stocks and bonds suffer when inflation high, commodities can be at least both absolute but certainly relative outperformers. So can you think, so just broad-based exposure to commodities uh, that includes energy, sort of, you know, industrial metals, even precious metals, agriculture, I think that's the best way to approach it right now. So those are a few things that we're, you know, been recommending in the news of the past week or so. Has it sort of altered that? We think this is just the nature of the market environment right now. There's a lot of jitters, a lot of uncertainty, uh, and things are going to be sort of range-bound until we get kind of clarity that inflation is actually declining. I think investors are very much in a sell the rumor, buy the news. So they want to see confirmation that inflation is coming down. And that's probably going to take at least another month or two to kind of reaffirm expectations that we've, we've peaked. Things will come down. And then even so the, the most hoggish views on the Fed, that can get kind of dialed back. And if that happens, then you start to see maybe more upside and being able to kind of break out of the top end of that range. Jason, very productive, helpful conversation to begin what will be a very busy week. Of course, a lot here that you've touched on with us that we will track very closely and uh, more conversations to have. But Jason, thank you very much for your time today. Appreciate it as always. You're welcome and have a great week. Today, we've been joined by Jason Dreho, the head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients, as well as our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset allocation. These resources can be located up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. A couple in particular I'd like to highlight for you. So CIO did release a market alert in response to last week's sell-off, market pessimism mounts. We do have a blog available as well from CIO America's Salida Marcelli, a market choppiness continues. So for clients of UBS, uh, please be sure to contact your financial advisor to learn more about the topics covered today, as well as to receive a copy of those publications and blogs directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us.
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.